John chapter 21, the entire passage is recorded in verses 15 through 19, but I want to focus your attention on verses 18 and 19. Jesus is speaking here and he says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. I want to label the message a love that requires your all. A love that requires your all. It is often said that Jesus is the answer. But as you read the Gospels, it's hard not to notice Jesus seems to have more questions than answers. Throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you meet Jesus who is careful with his answers, but liberal with his questions. Question after question after question. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What can a man give in the world in exchange for his soul? Who do the people say that I, the son of man, am? Who do you say that I am? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but will not do what I tell you? I could be here all day just listing the questions of Jesus that are littered throughout the Gospels. But I'll focus your attention on the question of Jesus that is the foundation of the text I want us to focus on today. It is one of the great, deep, hard questions of Jesus. John 21, verses 15 through 17, Jesus asked Simon Peter one question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? This question simple though it may seem, made Simon Peter very uncomfortable. First of all, Peter didn't do too well the last time he was asked questions around the campfire. But that's another sermon. Specifically, verse 17 tells us two reasons why this repeated question bothered Peter. First of all, it bothered him because Jesus asked him the same question three times, and it bothered Peter because he knew that Jesus already knew the answer to the question. So Jesus is persistent with this question. Peter is reluctant about this question. In fact, to get the sense of the interplay you got to uh, get underneath the text in its translation. 
The New Testament was written not in English, but in what is called Koine Greek, common Greek of the day. It was later translated to English. English is a beautiful but limited language. For instance, in English, there is only one word for love. Love. But in the Greek, there were several words for love, and two of the terms for love are used in this text, in the interchange in verses 15 through 17, in this conversation between Jesus and Peter. The word Peter uses is the word phileo. It is brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. The term refers to friendship, fraternity, fellowship. The word Jesus uses is agape. It is selfless love that moves one to give for the benefit of others, even if they are not worthy of that love. Agape is the word used, for instance, in John 3.16 to describe how God loves the world. But just, that may be technical, but just listen to the conversation again with those words. Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. We cool. The second time Jesus says, do you, Peter, agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. We're friends. And the third question, Jesus shifts terms and uses Peter's question. Do you even phileo me, Peter? Are we even friends? Peter then says, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. This interchange between Peter and Jesus is significant because it gets down to the crucial issue of the Christian faith. The bottom line of the Christian faith is this question that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me. That, friends, that's what Christianity is all about. Can you answer this question correctly? Do you love Jesus? At the end of the day, Christianity is not about corporate services, doctrinal statements, charitable acts, religious activity, generous giving, at the bottom line, it's not about ethics, morality, or theology. It's, it's about devotion. The fact that you are here in church today does not matter if you don't have a heart that loves Jesus. Christianity is Christ, and Christ is God. And to be a Christian is to love this Christ who is God. Bottom line of the Christian faith is do you love Jesus? I, I, want, I want to be clear because I'm not suggesting that by some level of earnestness or devotion or zeal, you earn favor with God. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. Justification is by faith alone. But the question of church history has been, what qualifies as saving faith? And in the 16th century, the Protestant reformers made it clear that we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. And by that they mean the evidence of true saving faith is a life of loving devotion to Jesus. Being saved is about more than intellectual agreement with truth. It's about personal devotion to Jesus. Christianity is not about a creed, a ceremony, or a code of conduct. The question is not do you agree enough to affirm, it's do you love enough to follow. Do you love Jesus? Your eternal destiny is determined, friend, by how you answer that question. Do you love Jesus. And if you do, 
You won't use love for Jesus, you know, as a ticket to heaven only while you do your own thing on earth. If you have destiny-shaping love for Jesus, it will show up in how you live your life on a day-to-day basis. You, you shouldn't think that your love for Jesus is evidence that you're going to heaven if your love for Jesus can't shape how you act on Monday and how you treat people on Tuesday and how you obey on Wednesday. As you see in the text, love for Jesus comes with duty. In verses 15 through 17, there is a question and answer and then a command. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Tend my sheep. Verse 17, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Love for Jesus brings duty, brings responsibility, brings obligation. You you can't you can't just claim to love Jesus and determine to do your own thing. It is to give your life in service for him. And in fact, Jesus says, you want to do something for me, don't do it for me, do it for my sheep. In a real sense, you can't have a high view of Jesus and a low view of the church at the same time. To love the shepherd is to love the flock. But not only are there duties associated with loving Jesus, what I want you to see in the text is that there are dangers associated with loving Jesus. This is the part of the text that we don't pay attention to often. Do you love me? Question. Yes. Answer. Command. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And then after that, Jesus moves from the duty of loving him to the, if I may, the dangers of loving him. And in verse 18, he describes this in a mini parable. He says to Peter, when when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk around wherever you wanted to go. But when you get old, You'll just stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you. And they'll take you where you don't want to go. Parenthetically, in verse 19, John inserts that Jesus was telling Peter the kind of death he would die to glorify God. And then in the last sentence of verse 19, Even though John tells us Jesus is talking about death, he says to Peter, follow me anyway. Love for Jesus requires your all. Let me tighten that up for you as quickly as I can. First, we see in the text that devotion to Jesus requires personal conversion. Devotion to Jesus requires personal conversion. Verse 18 again, when when you were young, you got up and you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you get old, you, you won't just get up and move around on your own. You'll just be able to stretch out your hands And another will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Here's the big contrast you need to get. This first point is nothing deep. It's a simple contrast. Listen simply to Jesus saying to Peter, I know what you were and I know 
what you will be. I know your past and I know your future. I know your history, but I also know your destiny. And the first thing you need to see, he confronts Peter with is that I want to tell you, Peter, before we'll get to the details of what you'll be, but let's just start here. Peter, let's be clear that if you stick with me, what you've been is not what you will be. I'm not going to let you stay the way you were. I'm not going to let things in your life be the way they have always been. To, 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 to love me will require conversion, require change, require transformation in your life. Hear me, friends. Jesus indeed loves you enough to meet you where you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay where you are. If you truly meet Jesus... There will be a spiritual change, a total transformation, a personal revolution will take place in your life. He says, I know what you've been and I know what you will be. And to love me requires that there's a change in your life. What Jesus says, Lord, help me to preach. You brought me here. Help me to preach. What, what Jesus says is significant here all the more because of when he says it. This text is the restoration of Peter. For those of you who don't know, this, this story here is the culmination of events that take, back, back, take place far back in John 13. It's the upper room. It's the last supper Jesus has with his disciples before he's betrayed with Judas. And he tells them, one of you will betray me. And all the boys are saying, is it I, Lord? Is it I? They're all asking, is it me, Lord? Except Peter, because Peter said, Lord, I know it ain't me. These other boys may betray you, but I will not betray you. John 13, verse 37, Jesus is told by Peter, I will die for you. I don't know about these other fellas, but I will die with you, Lord. And Peter is told by Jesus before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny that you even know me on three different occasions. And the prediction came to pass. When they arrested Jesus and put him on trial, Peter stood afar off. And as he warmed himself by the campfire, he was identified by those in the crowd. And on at least three different occasions, he denies that he ever met Jesus. And the Bible says, when the rooster crowed, he remembered the words of Jesus and ran away in great sorrow. Jesus, after that mock trial, was put to death on a Roman cross. He was buried in Joseph's tomb. But God raised him from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. And when the women came to the tomb of Jesus to make sure he had a proper burial, the Bible says that the angel told them in Mark 16, verse 7, that you should go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's alive and he'll meet you in Galilee. Here in John 21, we see one of these post-resurrection meetings between Jesus and his disciples. And, and, and I like this because, you know, when you mess up, people will have a way of never letting you forget it. But, but, but here, here, Jesus didn't even bring up the mistake. He just says, you denied me three times. Let me ask you three times. Do you love me? Y'all ain't in here with me. Do you love me? That was it. He didn't, he didn't beat him down with his mistake. He, he restored him. But after the restoration of Peter, he wants to make it clear 
I know how you got in this situation the last time. And even though I'm giving you another chance, I'm not going to let you stay where you were. I know what you've been, but I know what you will be. Now, I got to move on to my big point here, but, but I think you missed your shouting point. The good news of the text is, God won't give up on you. People, people, people say, um, I, I'm with you until you mess up. But, but before the journey even starts, Jesus says, I know you're going to mess up, but I'm not going to give up on you. That's the kind of God we serve. I said, that's the kind of God we serve. He won't give up on you. Somebody came to church and needed to hear that. The Lord won't give up on you. I thought I'd have more witnesses to that. I'm, I'm glad I brought my own just in case. When Joseph's brothers threw him in a pit, the Lord didn't give up. When Abraham lied and said, she's my sister, not my wife. The Lord did not give up. When Moses says, here am I, send Aaron, the Lord did not give up. When Aaron is making a golden calf while Moses is talking to the living God, he still did not give up. When the delivered children of Israel desired Egyptian fish over God's promised milk and honey, he did not give up. When, when Samson whispered in Delilah's ear, when David schemed against Uriah. When Solomon let women turn his heart from God, he still did not give up. When Israel chased after idols instead of trusting the living God, he still did not give up. I got even better news. When Herod tried to assassinate Jesus before he was two years old, he did not give up. When his own hometown neighbors tried to throw Jesus off a cliff, he did not give up. When his family thought he was crazy and tried to lock him up, Jesus did not give up. When the soldiers spit on him and beat him and nailed him to the cross, he still... Now, I'm, I'm going to quit the run right there. You fill in the blanks. Just because you lied don't mean he'll give up on you. Just because you messed up don't mean he'll give up on you. Just because you went where you had no business go, the Lord will not give up on you. Oh, praise his name. He won't give up on you. He'll give you, he'll give you another chance. He'll give you another chance. But, but here's where I'm headed. The, the God who will forgive your sin requires this, that if you want me to forgive your sin, you got to also let me change your life. Watch me. See, too many of us want what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Cheap grace is forgiveness without repentance. We, 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 we want the Lord to save us. We just don't want him to change us. But God says, if you, if you love me, if you follow me, if you stick with me, I'm not just going to clear your past and conquer your problems. I'm going to also change your personality. <laughs> Y'all ain't in here with me. This is, this is where I struggle. Maybe you like me. This is where I struggle because um, I'm often asking God to change circumstances and people and issues in my life. 
And I wrestle with the fact that God most often doesn't answer that prayer when I desperately want him to because he's too busy using the issues, people, and difficulties I want him to change. He's using that stuff to change me. He, 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 he's going to change you. I want, that to, I want that to lean on you heavily, but there's another piece of good news. The fact that you must change means you can change. You don't have to be dogged by your mistakes. You don't have to be haunted by your history. You don't have to be tormented by your past. You don't have to be pursued by your failures. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Here's the good news of transforming grace. You can change. Listen to me. Christians are never bound in reality. Christians are only bound in mentality. When a circus or a zoo wants to train a baby elephant, they chain the leg of the baby elephant a few hundred pounds and then put a stake in the ground to, to teach it to stay in its place. But if you go to the zoo, go to the circus, you'll see this elephant that is no longer a few hundred pounds but a few tons, still chained by the chain and stake in the ground. It's because elephants really do have good memories. And by the experience in their childhood of being unable to break free, they refuse to try, though they could snap that chain with no effort at all. And this is how the devil works against the believer. He wants you to think that your past defeats automatically means a present defeat. But, but the text is trying to tell us that the next time the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. And remember that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. Devotion to Jesus requires personal conversion. But secondly, devotion to Jesus requires unconditional surrender. Let me put my foot on the gas a little more here to finish this. Look at the text again. You love me, Peter? You want to serve me, Peter? You, you want to care for my flock, Peter? Well, let me tell you how this is going to go down. Let me, let, me, let me give you a picture of what life is going to be. When you were young, you dressed yourself and walked around wherever you wanted to go. And when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. The first major idea I had was just about the reality of change. You, you, you will not be what you have been. But, but lean in with me here to consider the nature of the change. Alec, literally, he just says you, you won't be what you have been. But allegorically, he draws a picture of what you were and what you will be, Peter. And he says, uh, when you were young, stay with me for just a moment, you had control over two major areas of your life, your wardrobe and your whereabouts. You could get up and you'd pick what you wanted to pick and put on what you wanted to put on. And then, after you dressed yourself, 
You walked around wherever you wanted to go. But there's coming a day when you will no longer be free to choose what you want to wear. You'll just be able to stretch out your hands and another will dress you. Worse than that, after they dress you, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Do you feel the tension here? The tension is between the autonomy of youth and the dependence of old age. He says, the change I am going to make will force you to relinquish control. You had control. You stick with me. I'm going to take that from you. Here's another idea that will blow away contemporary Christianity and modern preaching. Listen to what he says. You think you're free to choose how you're going to live your own life. But you stick with me. You're not going to have no more choices. You, you're just going to have to go where you don't want to go. He is saying here, that to love Jesus requires unconditional surrender. Christianity is not about using the Lord to accomplish your agenda. L listen to me. Listen to this next sentence. Faith doesn't get real until you trust Jesus enough to take you where you don't want to go. Y'all didn't hear me? Let me say it again. I said faith does not get real until you trust Jesus to take you where you don't want to go. That's what Job said to his wife, ain't it? He's lost everything in chapter 1. And the only two things left to lose in chapter 2 is his health and his life. God says to Satan, don't, don't touch his life, but you can take his health. And when she sees that he has lost everything he can lose, she says, I don't know what you've done to make God so angry that he's tormenting you like this, but I can't stand to see you suffer like this. If you are going through this because you have offended God, you might as well go all the way so he can get you out of your misery. Curse God and die. And he says to his wife, now, baby, you talking the way foolish women talk. Listen to the question he asks in Job 2. Do you mean to tell me that we can take good from God and not receive trouble? That's the question of the contemporary church in America. We just want good from God, but not trouble. Job says that's the way foolish people talk. Real faith, watch me, real faith is ambidextrous. It can take trouble in one hand. I wish I had help here. And blessing in the other hand, and, and hold them both and say to itself, all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose. God says, if you love me, I'm going to get you to a place where you don't want to go to teach you how to surrender to me. So you can't get close to Jesus until you get to the end of yourself. This is just how Christianity works. You, 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 can't, you can't 
be saved until you admit you are lost. You, you, can't, you can't be forgiven until you confess your sins. You can't receive strength until you admit you are weak. You, you can't get a burden bearer if you keep trying to carry the burden by yourself. And you can't let God lead you if you are determined to keep going your own way. So God says, I know how to beat you down. So that instead of you charting the course, instead of you planning your future, instead of you driving the car, all you can do is lift up your hands. Y'all ain't in here with me. Say, Father, I stretch my hands to thee. I have a personal vision, mission statement for my ministry. Three words. Don't sell out. I established that mission statement for my ministry as a Young preacher in Los Angeles, relatively small church surrounded by quote unquote mega churches all around me. Watching others say and do things, try to get to a certain status. And uh, that became my mission statement don't sell out. I, uh, I, put that on the sign, put it in my study. It's still in my study here to this day. I also uh, put it on the sign and taped it to the pulpit where I preached from every week. One of my anniversaries, the church bought me a new pulpit to preach from. They said, one condition, you can't put that ugly sign up there, this nice pulpit. But I, by then, I had it in my system. Don't sell out. Don't don't say or do whatever you want to do to, to draw. You can, you can say and do certain things that'll draw in a crowd, but it'll compromise you hearing a well done at the end of the journey. I, I need that reminder today more than ever. There is, the, there is a burden of preaching. Burden of preaching. My heart is burdened with those of you here who come in here with needs and troubles and difficulties. And if I could say something, I wish I could tell you, go home, open your mailbox, and there'll be a check for all of your bills. I wish I could tell you in three days everything's going to be. I wish I could just say something to fix your marriage problems, to, to take the pain away, to bring your child back. I wish! But that's not how Jesus operates. That stuff that you don't like, that stuff that hurts, that stuff you rather not deal with, the truth of the matter is. That, 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 sometimes we, we put stuff on the devil, and he's sitting back saying, I don't know what you're talking about, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> Some of the things you complain about may be ordained by the Lord. It may be the Lord taking you where you don't want to go to teach you how to surrender to him. I read a little story I haven't forgot. I'm almost done. I read a little story I haven't forgotten about a popular beautician who just got frustrated one day and closed up her shop and decided to become an artist instead. When someone asked her why, her answer was, because an empty canvas doesn't come and tell me how to make it beautiful. <laughs> Y'all not listening to me here. 
God is not a cosmic beautician. He's a sovereign artist. And if you come to Jesus, he's not going to let you tell him how to make you beautiful. He knows what he's doing. And he'll teach you, take you places you don't want to go. And teach you how to surrender to him. Devotion to Jesus requires personal devotion. Devotion to Jesus personal conversion, that is. Devotion to Jesus requires unconditional surrender. One more verse quickly. Devotion to Jesus requires stubborn trust. Now imagine you are Peter that day. You've already been confronted with a question you don't want to deal with. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You've already been given the weight of a big assignment. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my flock. If all of that is not bad enough, then Jesus dumps a riddle on you. Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked about wherever you want to go. But when you are old. You'll lift up your hands and another will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Peter must have been thinking, what in the world is Jesus talking about? And nothing in the text indicates that Jesus explains to Peter what he means. Verse 19 begins with a parenthetical statement. It is an editorial comment from John. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. John's gospel is written after the death of Peter. John knows portions and details of Peter's story that Peter didn't know that day. This whole business about being young and old, about you getting dressed, somebody dressing you, this whole story about you being taken to where you don't want to go, Jesus, listen to me, is trying to tell Peter in coded language how he's going to die. This is a fulfilled prophecy. Strong history tells us and tradition tells us that Peter was executed by Nero in A.D. 64. He is arrested, convicted, and executed because of his witness for Jesus Christ. And the Roman government says to him, in essence... You want to be like this Jesus so much, we'll help you. We crucified him, we'll crucify you. Tradition says Peter told them, I'm not worthy to die the way my Savior died. If you are going to hang me on a cross, at least hang me upside down. And that is how Peter died. All this clothes business, going where you don't want to go, literally, he is telling Peter how he is going to die. He is saying to Peter, Listen, there's a cross in your future. Really, church, that's all I'm trying to tell you. I'm not predicting that you'll die a martyr. But the Bible says that cross-bearing is not just about a manner of death. It's about a manner of life. If anyone will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. 
to, to, to love Jesus is to be willing to bear a cross. You, you can't follow Jesus and get everything your way. Following Jesus is not about cash and clothes and cars and cottages and creature comforts. It's about a cross. Yeah, Pastor, I know I got some crosses in my life. My, my husband, he, he's, he's a cross. No, he ain't. You chose him. Jesus didn't give you that. You, you chose him. I'm not talking about having trouble and you label it a cross. Some, some stuff in life ain't a cross. It's, it's just life. The, the cross. What, what do you mean by a cross? Listen to the weird language John uses. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Listen. Bearing a cross is when you do what you don't want to do for the glory of God. <laughs> Y'all ain't in here with me. I said bearing the cross is when you do what you don't want to do. When you go where you don't want to go because it will glorify. God. After telling Peter that, he says one more thing. He gets back to the narrative and says, Peter, I'm not, I just give you this riddle. John gives the parenthesis with the editorial note. Then getting back to the narrative, there's one more statement. Peter, you may not understand what I just told you, but follow me anyway. Uh, Peter, yes, I'm going to take you somewhere that you don't want to go, but follow me anyway. John tells us what Jesus means. Peter, if you love me, it will cost you your life, but follow me anyway. Peter, if you, if you love me, there'll come a time in your life where you'll lose control, you'll lose options, you, you just got to lift your hands and let me take you where you don't want to go, but, but follow me anyway. Listen, God is not just worthy of your of your worship. He's not just worthy of your obedience. He, he's worthy of your trust. E even though I, I may take you where you don't want to go, don't let that be an excuse for you turning back. Keep trusting me even if I take you where you don't want to go. Keep trusting me, even if it means you got to die for me. Keep trusting me, even if it leads to a cross. Are y'all in here with me? I got to let y'all alone. You, 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 don't, you don't get it. You heard cross and y'all checked out on me. But, but, but I think you missed, you, you missed the beauty of this, don't, don't even trip about what Jesus says. And this is not, this ain't no comforting word. This is a hard word. But, and this, if you, if you understood this text and this message, you should feel burdened. You should feel troubled. You should feel confronted by God. But, but Relax. Listen, it's not about what the text says. It's about who said it. 
You're not getting it. The one in this text who predicts that Peter is going to die is the one just a couple of chapters before this text who died. You missed it? Let me try it one more time. No, 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 no. You missed it? Let me try it one more time. The, the one who is telling Peter, you are headed to a cross is the one who is talking to Peter on the other side of dying at a cross. And what, what I'm trying to tell you is if you believe this Jesus died at the cross and rose from the dead, go and follow him anyway because it, it doesn't matter what it costs you. He's able to take care of you. Have I got a witness? If he, he's able to conquer death, then he's able to handle your future. If he's able to conquer death, then he's able to bring you through your trial. If he's able to conquer death, then he's able uh, to see you through your storm. Have I got a witness? If he's able uh, to conquer death, uh, then he's able uh, to help you carry uh, your cross. So keep trusting in him. That's what Solomon told his son. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall make straight your path. Is there anybody here? I'm finished. I didn't mean to go that far. But is there anybody here that know if you trust him, God will make straight your path? When I was a boy, my mama taught the choir a song that simply says that problem that I had, I just couldn't sing the song. I tried and I tried, but I just got deeper involved. But then I turned it over to Jesus. Y'all ain't in here with me. I turned it over to Jesus. I turned it over to Jesus, and I stopped worrying about it. I turned it over to the Lord, and he worked it out. Is there anybody here? No, he will. Won't he work it out? I said, won't he work it out? Come on, if you know he will, help somebody. Look at your neighbor and tell him.